0: pop shield a long-form discussion podcast about musical topics both past and present i'm gabe and i'm joined as always by dan hello and darren hello so i like to start each episode by asking you guys if you've listened to anything interesting lately
1: yeah uh the new uh swans demo cd for the next uh you know record Mm -hmm. came out uh what is this it's called so been listening to that uh spoiler gonna be another
2: classic (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> uh i have just been listening to the olivia tremor control
0: fitting okay. i um have been you know i'm starting to think it's uh Anco's year because i really dug panda bears buoys and now i am really into uh av tear's new album cows on hourglass pond it's very um dreamy and kind of slow but these melodies like they they are slow to kind of work their way into your head, but once they're there, they are stuck there. I just think it's it's really, really, really solid. Highly recommended. Um, now, Dan, speaking of Swans, am I getting this wrong? You have some field trip to report on? Yeah, I finally went
1: to a concert this year. It's, it's like the, the <laughs> longest I've ever waited. Uh, my wife and I, we went to Philadelphia for our uh, anniversary, and while we were there, mm. uh, just randomly stumbled on uh, Norman Westberg uh, from Swans, uh, was playing at this place called the Philadelphia Mausoleum of Contemporary Art. It's in a old store that sold tombstones and mausoleums. Um <laughs> uh, so real spooky. Okay. Wow. And uh yeah, it's in the neighborhood that inspired uh Eraserhead, which is my favorite movie, uh Whoa. which is cool and uh it's also the building is owned by Diplo and used to be the <laughs> headquarters for his record label uh like a, like right when you walk in on the floor it says uh mad decent or whatever the name. So that's kind of like weird. Um, but the actual show, uh, it, w- it was rad. He was opening for some other band that I never heard of. And uh, honestly, we left before they played. But um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he just did some uh, solo guitar drones, uh, really just, you know, fucking around with pedals and uh, real ambient stuff. Uh, but it was like really tight. He just played like 30, 35 minutes, uh, you know, tons of delay, reverb, you know all, all that shit i like uh it, it was really cool it, it was cool to see like him in a in a different context you know not so loud and you know insane yeah. as, as swans normally
0: is but it was it was really cool wow there's a lot of uh pop culture colliding yeah. in that one uh that one <laughs> yeah. spot I know. Uh, forming into some big combination if you will which leads me <laughs> to our uh topic today combinations you get it okay that's (laughs) okay march 23rd marked the 20th anniversary of the olivia tremor Control's second and last proper lp black foliage animation music volume one and while we all love this album we were surprised to see what feels like a hidden gem being celebrated by retrospective reviews in stereo gum and the quietest as well as pretty active discussions by fans and music critics on forums like reddit and twitter we're always interested in why certain albums inspire these kinds of reassessments. There was very little fanfare for the 20th anniversary of the band's first LP, Dusk at Cuba's Castle, for example. So we decided to revisit Black Foliage ourselves and try to figure out what makes this album such an enduring classic. I guess we should start with our personal histories with this album. Dan, um, are you a big fan? When did you f- find this? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan
1: of uh, Elephant Six uh, in general. Um, uh-huh. You know, I I, I I've loved Nutramo Hotel, especially and of Montreal. Olivia Tremor Control has always sort of been like a uh, you know a second tier band mm. of of that for me personally. Like they're still great, you know. Just I've never been like super obsessed with them, um, but I you know I do love this album. and I love Dusk at Cubus Castle, um, but I've just never been like incredibly obsessed with it like I, I get with a lot of other stuff. So you hadn't listened
0: to it that much in the last however many years.
1: No, no, it's it's it had been quite a while since I had listened to it, which you know was nice to revisit. How about you, Darren?
2: Well, um, you know, obviously Neutral Milk Hotel was the first band from Elephant Six that I had listened to. Um I remember gave you, you turned me on to it. And I recall very vividly thinking, you know, <clears throat> Is Gabe just trying to be like so patrician by listening to, you know, this guy who I I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't understand why you liked Jeff Mangum's voice. (laughs) That was like the most (laughs) off-putting thing at first. You know what I mean? That you know obviously later changed. And so I was like, oh, my God, I need more of this. You know, let me dig into this elephant six. What a crazy cool idea this sounded like. And I think the first band that I checked out was Beulah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: which is just interesting start
2: right you put that on and i'm like well what the hell this is nothing like neutral milk hotel at all um Uh, and the third band that i checked out was the olivia tremor control and i pretty much immediately fell in love with um the this record that we're going to talk about and then also loved uh, dusk at cubist castle um and i've kind of always uh maybe in the most recent you know five years or so i i may have only listened to it a few times but like when i was when i first listened to it man this thing was on all the time for me like what a huge inspiration obviously we'll, we'll talk about that a lot more but what about you gabe
0: yeah i had a similar uh story where i you know fell under the spell of neutral Milk Hotels in the airplane over the sea and uh eventually went digging um for, you know, what else I could find like it, learned about this elephant six thing, uh just went deep into that wormhole and um Olivia Tremor Control became one of the um you know, one of my absolute favorites. And probably, you know, I just Maybe we'll talk about this on a future episode. I hope we do at some point. But it's like, I I find it very hard to revisit in the airplane over the sea. I just spent so much time with it. But honestly, over the past, you know, several years, I I, I revisit Olivia Truman Control every once in a while and um, always really love it, always have. I mean, it's just not to spend too much time on it, but it was like this whole elephant six thing was something I had never heard before. I was kind of remembering today, you know, maybe I was in ninth grade or 10th grade or something, and it was just like. I put on in the, in the Airplane Over the Sea, and I remember asking somebody on on this music forum I was on at the time, like, is this Holland 1945 song supposed to be so distorted and fucked up sounding? Like, do I have a bad copy or what? You know, like i must have heard you know it was like i must have heard i don't know early modest mouse by that point and but didn't think of lo-fi as like an artistic choice you know i just thought of it as like a recording limitation so then just hearing something like the Liberty of charmer control that just makes the most of that and makes a whole world out of it i just couldn't couldn't believe it so i think we should try to describe the sound now i assume most people listening to this episode know this uh album pretty well but I think part of the fun of this album is actually trying to describe, you know, what the heck it is. So what does this record sound like?
1: Yeah, I mean... It's really kind of hard to describe. I mean, the easy way, and what I think most people would say, is you know it's sort of got that '60s uh, psychedelic rock, uh, you know, Beach Boys, Warship, Beatles, worship kind of thing going on. But there's more to uh-huh. it to, than than that, of course. Uh, you know, it, it's very like dream-like. Uh, that that Stereo Gum um, article like like said some things that that I thought were really good, like di- disembodied, uh, barry, barely corporeal. Um, they said, and I, you know, I liked both of those, uh, as descriptions, you know, it's very dreamy, very dream-like, maybe not dreamy, but, um, yeah, it's, it's 60s psychedelic rock through some weird, distorted, uh, lo-fi, dreamy lens.
2: Yeah, you know, I almost, I, I liked what the Stereo Gum guy, the other one, which was about the garden, like, I actually liked that Mm -hmm. imagery of, like you know beautiful flowers but also like you know appreciating the weeds and the <clears throat> the not so beautiful things about the garden um because when i think about this album uh it, it literally mashes together the world of like experimental music and like the most genuine purest pop from the 60s Absolutely. you know what i mean um mm-hmm. harmonies just I th- glorious yes, harmonies. i mean i think of like you mentioned the beach boys the Beatles, like I think of like Revolution at nine, but with like Beach Boys harmonies happening over it. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting uh blend, and I obviously will get deeper into that, but uh, that's how I would describe it.
0: Yeah, it's um, you know, there's something incredible about it because it's just their knack for hook writing is stunning, and and yet on this album, they You know, really, it's like a constant tease, I think, where it's just these explosions of pop harmony and just that 60s psychedelic pop thing, but just constantly kind of disappearing in like a wash of insane, cacophonous sounds. You know, Dan, you said dreamlike and, you know, you you were very careful to to correct yourself and not say dreamy Mm -hmm. because... The album is not really relaxing or peaceful in any way. There is it, it's dreamlike in the sense of you know like Alice in Wonderland, like falling down this you know rabbit hole thing where yes. you can't like ever you know get a grip on anything. It, Every, like sounds are yeah, it's illogical. You
1: know, like the way a dream yes. doesn't make sense. You know, it, yeah, it's not a it's not always a comforting dream. It's not always right. you know it, it, a, a nightmare place or anything. Place. Yeah, right, right, right. It just has that 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 weird yeah alice in wonderland is a is a good uh analogy i think
0: yeah and i think a good you know touchstone here um you know people say that, that that this is the case for like the entire elephant six and i find that a little wrong but specifically here the beach boys smile is like a huge you know point of influence i think the idea of smile as this I'm sure everybody knows, but this album that was supposed to be, you know, recorded as a bunch of individual little pieces and then somehow assembled together into like one glorious medley or symphony or something. um, You know, it's kind of building off of that because there are just many very small ideas. I like All Music's review of this album says there are basically enough ideas here for five different albums, um, which I think is a great way to put it. Um, So. You know, this is all very interesting and unique, and we'll dive more into it, but beyond describing the sound, what makes it a great album? I think one of the things that that makes it great, and
1: and Darren, you sort of alluded to this a little bit, you know, Revolution 9 was like John Lennon trying to incorporate music concrete into pop music. Um, you know, you can argue how how much of a success he had with it. I think here they're doing that same thing. You know, they're they're building off of Lennon's idea and kind of it's working. Um, whereas you could argue it sort of failed with the Beatles. Um, you know, they they're 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 marrying two genres that are from you know totally different worlds. Yeah, you know. Um, and I think that that and that's something that Elephant Six as a whole sort of does, and I think that's why they're they're so appreciated. But but especially Olivia Trim and Control, I think they do it super well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And like, didn't Lennon say? I don't know if it was about Revolution Nine specifically, but didn't he say something like, "This is what the future of music is going to be like"? You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, this album sounds like a bridge between. What you know, Lennon was experiencing in the 60s, and what he may have imagined as being the future, you know, pure experimental noise, you know, like rhythmless music, which exists today, obviously. But, um, the Olivia Tremor Control did something that, like, I, I, I hesitate to sit here and just say is unheard of and has never been done before, but, um, I really don't know too many bands that have done it so well you know you think about the Beach Boys smile and while it was successful enough even though it never really truly was released um, you can tell reading up on it that it was like it was a a massive undertaking and Mm -hmm. this album I feel like succeeds because it kind of gets over that hump it actually reaches a completion you know it is a completed album it it has like Tons and tons of ideas, but when you listen to it, I don't get any sort of feeling that, like, anything was missing. You know what I mean? Or that something wasn't finished. This sounds like a tireless masterpiece that was, like, labored over. You know what I mean? And it comes across as, like, a perfect, not perfect, but, you know, a completed piece, whereas some of these other albums that were in ideas we're talking about were just experiments that never may have never finished Mm -hmm. this album succeeds because i i feel like they actually get there they get to the end point you know what i mean
0: yeah you know it's interesting because it has sort of a a narrative to it like a musical narrative because you know i gave dusk at Cubus castle a spin this week as well um and i was kind of surprised to find that it wasn't as weird as it sounded you know, the first time I ever put it on, which, like I said, <clears throat> was such a brand new experience for me at that time. And I didn't mention, but Dusk at Castle, I got very obsessed with. Um, and then it was, you know, and I had kind of like checked this out, but found it a little difficult. And it was you, Darren, that really pushed me to, you know, give Black Foliage the equal attention. So returning to Dusk at Castle, you know, it's interesting because The first half is kind of like these perfectly crafted pop songs. There's some weird arrangement going on, but they are damn tight. Mm -hmm. And I would say maybe the hooks are better on Dusk at Cuba's Castle overall. And then a weird thing happens on that album where like the rug is just pulled out from under you with the green (laughs) typewriter Oh,
2: yeah.
0: Where like... It's been pretty I mean, it's really been pretty solid where aside from a few exceptions, you've got like these kind of basically three minute, two and a half minute, like perfect 60s psych pop songs kind of. And then there's like a series of green typewriter tracks that are like short, half finished ideas. And then you just go into like this pure drone for like nine minutes um, before it like sort of emerges, but never even really recovers because it remains totally deconstructed like that. Black Foliage is like a much more successful, I think, combination of those two impulses. Because, like I said, it's got this narrative where you're kind of, you know, going through these pop songs that are constantly threatening to fall apart. A lot of times, you know, like a peculiar noise called Train Director, um, the end of it just changes directions completely. And it's such a catchy song. You're kind of like wishing it would come back, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But it just moves on into these, you know, into like a 5-second combinations which is just like a little blast of noise back to pure pop of hideaway before like completely falling apart for a couple short tracks. Um it's like this constant push and pull and then, you know, there are points where the bridge will be such a strange diversion and you're like no no I love that song like come (laughs) back please please don't end it you know and then sometimes it will sometimes it will come back like in this unexpected way sometimes things will come back way later in the album but my point is that instead of just like a sudden abrupt you know rug being pulled out from under you it's like planted throughout the album that this thing is going to fall apart (laughs) at some point and it does we'll talk about that like huge sound collage (laughs) thing that sort of happens later on but you know what I mean? It's like more well it feels it's like, like it, building. right, it feels like it
2: earns that 11-minute you know track. You know what I mean? Yeah. You you have gone through so much of the the album by that point. You've heard all of the different soundscapes even if they were in small snippets and now you've arrived at well, basically 11 minutes of of that. Like a culmination of right. of the album that you had just heard, you know. Um when Green Typewriters comes on I'm like, "Wait, I want want more of the album like but where are we <laughs> yeah. going you know what i mean by the time i get to like the bark and below it i'm i'm like kind of prepared i feel like
1: yeah no i think that that's perfect you know green typewriter's like really kind of comes f- from left field a little bit whereas yeah you're you're expecting uh, a bark and below it and maybe not expecting it but like <laughs> You're not expecting 11 minutes of it, but you're you're expecting at least like a handful of it. You know, uh, you're not quick to like
2: want to change the track. You know what I mean? Like, you're, yeah, you're like, exactly. Right, gonna, you give it a ease into this.
1: <laughs> exactly, it's like easier to give it a chance. I think this yeah. this record just like never lets you get comfortable, which I think sort yeah. of like you know uh, plays to that dream thing I talked about. You know, when when you have a dream, you know, like dreams don't actually last. You know, sometimes they feel like they they're hours long, but they're they're really like very short and come and go and, and whatnot and you know they, they they don't have like a full narrative or anything you know you, maybe you're right you know doing something and then uh, you know all of a sudden now different dream and, and this record like sort of is like that you know you you don't you start settling in a place and then oh you know we're going we're going this direction now you know we're going back here you know sometimes you hop back you know i i really um i really like that about this record
2: yeah it's like it's like in a in a dream where you might like walk through a door and suddenly you're in a completely different location exactly you you didn't physically move anywhere, but you've just it's everything has just shifted suddenly
0: and you can't Mm -hmm. go back you know what i mean and rarely is that pulled off so well like you guys were saying it's it comes together one cohesive thing, and so what I want to ask is, you know, are there any standout tracks for you guys, or you know, is it impossible to pull things apart from the entire piece? I mean, I think it works better as an entire piece, uh, you know. But a-
1: as I've said on the on the podcast before, I'm I'm a real stickler for like listening to an album as a you know piece of art that the people intended but i mean you know there's definitely songs on here that like get stuck in my head a little bit um sleepy company gets gets stuck in my head uh, quite a bit Uh, i've been i have been floated uh a, a peculiar noise called train director you know pieces of that all you know get get stuck in your head so like in a way i would say those are the standouts but i would never say Ah, you know, check out those songs, and then if you like them, check out. You know, (laughs) I would say no. Listen to the to the record. So, so yes and no.
2: Yeah, this is an album I've never really tried to pluck songs from to put on a playlist or anything like that. Because even though the like the songs are so good, you know, like Hideaway, so good, you know, Grass Mm -hmm. Cannons, like so good. But I just you can't just pull it out, you know what I mean, and throw it in the in a playlist because by the end of the song, it's like already changed and shifted going into something else.
0: It loses yeah, it's, just, its luster a little bit.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that might be the case, because I think some of those songs on Dusk at Cubus Castle, they shine a little bit brighter on their own, but these yeah. songs really mm-hmm. require this setting. Um, you know, at the same time, there are songs in here that I think just kind of sum up what is so wonderful about this album. Um, Grass Cannons, you mentioned, Darren, yeah. is like one of my absolute favorites. It's got kind of a, a darkness to it. And there are a couple points in this album where the melody gets quite dark and serious. It kind of reminds me of, um, you know, the circulatory system, the first circulatory system uh, album yeah. um, after this, which always strikes me as like darker. And yet there's more of the sing along stuff, which is an interesting uh, sort of conflict. But, um, but yeah, there's there's an interesting darkness here, which I think is an important part of, you know, this sort of dream world that's being created. Um, <clears throat> it's not all sunshine, sixties pop, um you mentioned I have been floated Dan. I mean that song is so interesting because it the arrangement is like completely reconfigured on every section. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's kind of like a it's a verse chorus verse type of song but like no instruments are the same on the second verse as they are in the first verse. It just and not only that, but the voices. Like uh, so many people <laughs> yes.
1: from Elephant Six are on that song. You know, Mangum, <laughs> Kevin Barnes, uh, ev- like every yeah, everybody's like on it, and it's it's like you can't even tell you know some it'll shift between singers and you know sometimes you're like oh yeah. you know that that's definitely kevin and you're like is that, is that jeff is that is that robert you know and and yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's another sort of dream type thing you know like if you have a dream you know yeah. sometimes you're you're talking to i don't know your mom and then all of a sudden you know now it's your aunt or something you know like things right. like that or you your know? girlfriend yeah if it's like almost Freudian it's almost like <laughs> yeah, so exactly.
2: on the nose like have calling the song i have been floated and then just like <laughs> floating in these Flo- different people you know you know what I mean
1: like no exactly I, you know. it's something that like when when you just say that like that sounds fucking corny as shit but like somehow <laughs> you know they, they really really pull it off like it sounds it sounds great it's like i really love that song uh i i, know. I love uh like just last night I I was listening to it and I was like, I turned it up as loud as it would go in my headphones because I was like trying to figure (laughs) out who was singing what, you know? Um, You know, because I recognize all the people's voices and stuff and it was just, it's
0: like... Some of them seem like you know there the pitch has maybe been altered yeah a i was bit, thinking you know it too, makes it yeah. even harder because
2: that last chorus is the one what that really stands out to me as like the pitch changing and i can't can't yeah. mm-hmm. i have no idea who's singing
1: that yeah i listened to it like three times in a row just trying to like pick exactly who was singing what and uh yeah it was yeah. basically impossible
0: yeah, really, a, a lot of this album, it keeps sort of, like, warping out of focus, just as you think you've got mm-hmm. a handle on it. Which um, is how
1: a dream is. I, You know, I don't want right, to keep bringing right. it up, but, you know, if you look at a clock in <laughs> a dream, you
0: know how it, it changes on me and stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly like that. At the same time, though, I wanted to mention, um, in regard to I've Been Floated, you know, Jeff Mangab's voice, you know, shines through pretty bright there, mm-hmm. and uh you know as i this must be the case for everybody but you know you're obsessed with animals or with a uh, elephant six you probably started with uh neutral milk hotel and just hearing him like emerge mm-hmm. there is so exciting oh, yeah. and yet oh, yeah. i was think i was thinking about what we talked about last week where there's kind of this egoless quality to 60s vocals remember we talked about how jim morrison is like the first real front man because mm-hmm. you know he's like there and he's present and it's his charisma carrying everything um Whereas all the 60s music, you know, I think about the Beatles and the Beach Boys, it's like this blend. It's supposed to sort of blend in. Um, The Olivia Tremor Control do such an amazing job of that, where it's like this kind of egoless, you know, it just makes it feel like maybe sort of true to the 60s, but also like the pre-Frontman era, but also kind of, um, you know, there's something about like this contextlessness to it, where it's just like, you know who is this? Is this even the same person from the last mm-hmm. song we were kind of talking about? And in contrast, I think Jeff Mangum has more of like a voice, voice like he is a mm-hmm. star singer. You know what I mean, Darren? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely.
2: Even yes, there's something about the quality of his voice that yeah, you can't mistake it. Like on "I Have yeah. Been Floated," you know when it's Jeff Mangum singing mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and I, I get what you're saying, like totally, because like you think of Neutral Milk Hotel, but really. Just like I described, like, how the Doors were really... Morrison is the, you know, he's the centerpiece. Same with Mangum and Neutral Milk Hotel. You know what I mean? But the Olivia Tremor control, just like you said, like... <laughs> it's weird. When you listen to this man, I never think about, like, Will Hart or, right. uh, you know... What's the other guy's name? Bill uh, Doss. Bill Doss. Bill Ross. Doss. Bill Ross. Bill, Bill yeah. Doss. Like, I never, I, uh, sorry, I don't think about... The man died, you gotta respect <laughs> I, okay. Yeah, I know, God. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's just it. Like, I, I don't ever think yeah. about, like, the individual names or individual. They're kind of anonymous like, on purpose. Yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: So, my question is, you know, we kind of already touched on it, but I mean, what takes this beyond 60s pastiche and, like, just simple Beach Boys worship? Because I feel like Dusk at Cubis Castle, listening now, it kind of falls into that a little bit more, where... You know, sometimes it sounds like people emulating the '60s, and it's a little bit more. It's it's a lot closer, I would say, to kind of early Apples and Stereo or early of Montreal, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, Kevin Barnes is like, all right, this is going to be like a weird circusy kind of, you know, baroque pop song. It's going to sound like, you know, whatever Phil Oaks or something. You know, like these really deliberate kind of evocations of certain sounds. um, You know. I feel like that's happening less on this album, a lot less. This sounds like Olivia Tremor Control. I almost can't even describe it any other way. Are you guys kind of on board with that?
1: No, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, Dusk at Cubist Castle is a lot more of that pastiche Beach Boys uh, worship type thing. Here, I think what what gets them away from that is they're marrying the, the Beach Boys and uh, 60s pop with... Stockhausen and and cage and and everything and they just do it so well in a way that like you know i think a lot of people have maybe tried i mean like i said even the beatles tried it and kind of kind of failed a little bit and since they are they're sort of the first ones at least that i can think of that like really succeed with it and so it becomes um it kind of becomes its own new thing so you know they're just (laughs) i get that that's just sort of pastiching more pastiche, but um <laughs> I, I think that works. You know, I mean, every every like genre of music basically is sticking together some older genres and making a new one. You know, so I, I think that's sort of what gets it away. Does that make any sense at all?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that like you guys mentioned, Dusk at Cubist Castle, you know, contains some like fantastic songs, songs that you could just jump in and listen to and not necessarily have to go through the entire album. You know, you could truly Mm -hmm. exit before green typewriters if you really want, if you wanted to, and you'd be, you'd be fine. I mean, you would have gotten, you know, the best parts of that album, I would argue. Um, whereas here, I feel like, you know, they find, they took the next step, right? Like they had the ideas, Gabe, you mentioned it earlier. um, they truly like marry these two concepts together, not only in like having little soundscapes in these combination tracks and the black foliage, um, tracks, but in the songs themselves, for instance, paranormal echoes starts off sounding like you're, you're going through another black foliage or some sort of like combination. And it changes. It just, it just so naturally shifts into an actual song. And, um, songs themselves will like shift. And I find myself even now sometimes looking down and saying, okay, what track am I on again? Because it's just, mm-hmm. it's change. And, and and like we talked, like I just mentioned how I, I don't even know how many people are in this band. I don't think about the individuals of this band. I really also don't think too much about what track am I on? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't always know, you know, obviously some of the, like the, the main heavy hitters, you know, I've been floated. Yeah. I know I'm on that track, but like, throughout the album man i'm like it doesn't even you, matter to me where I'm you get at. Like, i get lost in it exactly exactly that it's so hard to just put like put words to that <laughs> you know feeling you know what i mean but it just mm-hmm. it, it's so different than like dusk at Cuba's castle
1: that leads me to a question i had though you know there there's all these little tiny tracks, the combinations and animation, like tracks that are, some of them are a couple minutes long. Some of them are like, one's like four seconds or something. Uh, Like they do all that and that's fine. But then they also in the like regular, you know, quote, unquote, regular songs, they also kind of do the same thing. So does it even, are, are the combinations and the animations even sort of necessary since since they seem to do the same thing kind of tacked on to regular songs.
0: Um, Yeah, it's a little strange, you know, because, you know, I'll listen to, like, there's this little stretch early on. Um, It's like combination. Well, actually, it's really, uh, after Hideaway, you got, like, Black Foliage Animation 1 combinations and the sky is a harpsichord canvas. And they range from, like, just a couple seconds to whatever, a minute. And, um, you know, it's... It's like three tracks that just fly right by, all connected. And then there'll be other parts where I'm just thinking, like, it's at the end of a song and it just kind of transforms, like, multiple times really fast. And I'm like, well, that could have been three yeah, tracks I, also. I, <laughs> yeah. Part of me wonders, you know, something like The Sky is a Harpsichord or whatever, like,
1: you know, that that's the four-second one. Like, is it just they thought of, like, a funny track title and they, you know, wanted to jam it in there? Like, like I just wonder, like, why are some connected and and some aren't connected? Uh, They're thinking maybe about all the streams they were going to get in the future. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. that's smart well i was kind of thinking you know in in also in response to this idea of like what takes it beyond 60s pastiche you know there's kind of like a interesting you know not to get too like ridiculous but like a postmodern kind of self-awareness to this um album where you know the the medium is often part of the message you know what i mean um it's it's not like lo-fi because that's the best they could do that might actually be why but They are, it's lo-fi because that's the sound that they're after. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the, you know, like there are sounds that are clearly taped, um, sounds sped up like crazy or slowing way down, or even sounds that, you know, sort of resemble like a, and probably really are like a tape being mangled, you know, by a machine. Um, there's like a real kind of upfrontness about the... You know, I'm going to pretty in a minute, I'm going to go like way artsy on this, but like the instability (laughs) of the medium or something like that, like because the thing is sort of falling apart, the album, the dream is falling apart. Like we've been talking about, you know, it's a it's a nice parallel that you kind of feel like the tape is fucked up when you're listening to this. And that's what I kind of think of when I think of those like little blip songs that often don't even flow into the next one. It's just like and then like that's it. You know, you kind of get what I'm saying. Am I going too far here?
1: No, I get you. And in fact, on uh, the I was reading the Wikipedia for this record earlier today, and it it says that on California Demise Part Three, there's like a skip, and the band like Mm -hmm. noticed it when they were listening to the the master playbacks, and they said, "Yeah, leave it. Sounds you know sounds good. You know, and like that is that's sort of like that. It it was unintentional, but you know, it's sort of that destruction of the and. You know, I didn't, I noticed the skip uh, listening to it, but, you know, I really didn't, I didn't think of it as an error. You know, I, I didn't hear it and say, right, oh, you right. know, they, they missed that it's one. It's appropriate. Were doing it. You know, yeah, it like, it like feels like it's part of uh, the record, you know, the happy accident or whatever uh, that Bob Ross guy says.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. Um, and I just wanted to add kind of to the recording element of this. You know, Gabe, we used to talk about, like, the whole elephant six um, recording concept that they had, you know um, they had like a house or something where, you know, they rented out a house or whatever it was. And all all of the different members would just kind of file in and do different things. And I, I don't know for sure whether like this record in particular was recorded in the same sort of method, but it is on grass, on grass cannons. Okay. So on grass cannons, um, it starts out and it, it sounds like, so like, I feel like I'm in the room. Like I I can just hear the sound of each of these like instruments like Mm -hmm. the stringed instruments being, being played. You know what I mean? Like, right. And I absolutely, it's like one of my favorite moments on this record of any elephant six record, because it's, you know, it was so inspiring when, when I was like in a band and trying to write music and stuff to like hear, you know, people who this whole elephant six collective of different artists and in the wide range of genres and music that but the way they would just kind of come together and float in and out on each other's records and give ideas i mean i'm sure like tons of members of the elephant six are probably all over this record and we don't know specifically what they were doing but just that that whole element of how it was recorded i think comes through so well and especially on grass cannons do i do i really appreciate that
1: uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I thought basically the same thing. You know, there, there's sometimes like uh, when there's like little sort of a uh, toy piano sounds or like a uh, you know xylophone, but it doesn't sound like a you know professional xylophone. You know, it sounds like a you know maybe a kid's toy or or you know uh-huh. something you would get get at school or something. And it, it does. It feels like you know they're sitting in in a living room or a bedroom recording. And, you know, somebody's got a toy piano that they, they found at the thrift store or something and jumped in. You know, it really, like, sort of has that, like, communal um, feel to it. Uh, yep. You know, the, the singing song from Julian Coster is, like, all over right. this record, coming in and out. Uh, you know, the trumpets and everything. Uh, it's mostly Scott Spillane from nutramo Hotel, like, all over. You know, I really like that. It. It, it just sometimes, like, the song, it, it seems like oh, well, Julian's over today, so uh yeah, <laughs> throw right, the saw right. on this motherfucker. Yes. You know, like, and I, I really like that. You know, it, it does. It has that, like, that really, you know, art community-type feel to it. And I think that's, like, one of the greatest things about Elephant 6 is it does. It just feels like a group of friends that all, like decided to make a ton of art together you know um right. it it's it, uh, you know yeah, i can't i yeah. just can't think of anything else that that in music that that's really like that and it's uh it's just it's a it's an inspiring thing when you're younger and it's just it it's just is, cool yeah. you know it's just really it's kind of it's kind of like what what you i don't know what like everybody sort of dreams of uh you know artsy people at least right
0: right like a cool community a cool course yeah exactly um yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's another part of this album's self-awareness, because basically we have this, this you know, black foliage motif, all right? There are actually a couple motifs that sort of repeat throughout the album, but specifically the black foliage motif or motifs, um, they're kind of, like, reinvented, you know, across what is it, five different pieces, but then there's also itself, um, or maybe itself, oh no, itself, so six total, <laughs> um, reconfigurations of this one piece and you know it's interesting because what you were just saying dan i think they're really aware of that and they are embracing Mm -hmm. it and making that part of the album they're kind of saying look this song sounds the way it does because of who happened to come over today Mm -hmm. you know and that's how we create like you know because i just find it so interesting we get black foliage itself track 17 and you kind of feel like Oh, I see what they're doing. You know, we're getting like these little, you know, weird deconstructions of these motifs. And then we're going to get the song and it's going to make sense. But then we get two more deconstructions <laughs> of Black Foliage before the album ends. And I think the point is Black Foliage itself, quote unquote, is not like the correct song. It's just one of what could have been like thousands of recombinations. You know, we get this idea of combinations mm-hmm. throughout the album that I referenced earlier. Um You get what I'm saying, like that. That it's not like it's just so aware of that's how we create music is like there are accidents and chance things that happen. You know what I mean? I think that that like what you said is perfect, and I think that that's one of the things that really
1: makes this record and Olivia Trimmer Control stand out in Elephant Six. I feel like they are the band that sort of seems the most communal. You know, when you listen to in the airplane over the sea, for sure, it, it seems. To, to mostly, it seems like a band made this, and for the most part, it is. Right. You know, there, there's a little bit of cloud. You know, Laura Carter's on it, and you know, there's a couple little things here and there. But but for the most part, uh, the songs in total are either just Jeff, or they're the same kind of instruments over and over. Avery Island, same way. Even even uh, early of Montreal, is like that. But but Olivia Trimmer Control is the one that seems. Like like the band is Elephant Six, you know. Like, yeah, they are the oh, spirit. Yeah, yeah like of, of like Elephant you Six. said, Darren. You know, it's sort of you don't know who's in that band. You know, I mean, I know because, <laughs> right. like, I know cause I've I've read a bunch of shit about all these bands. But like, yeah, if I didn't. If I wasn't, you know, uh, obsessed with reading crap, I, I wouldn't know that and I wouldn't be able to figure it out, you know, because like, like you said, too, it's hard to even tell, like, w- was the person that was singing on the last song was singing on this song? You know, it really right, does. Right. Um, you know, Elephant Six has this thing called uh, Major Organ uh, in the Adding Machine, which, like, actually uh-huh. is the communal band. Um, but but uh, Olivier Trimmer Control sounds... It, so much better and so and and, and yeah. embodies that so much
0: more I, I think that it captures the joy of the experience exactly like much exactly better, you know you know another thing um well a couple of things i wanted to mention that you know the conversation kind of slipped on by but you know in regard to this using the <clears throat> using the lo-fi as part of the album there are also moments though that are like <laughs> you know i am stunned at the arrangements that they create under these like four and eight track conditions you know i think about like Mm -hmm. um you know a a sleepy company um you know how those that sort of string section comes in at the Mm -hmm. end um it kind of like falls apart and then it sort of comes back um you know quite uh you know you're 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 quite happy when uh when it comes back because it was so short before but (laughs) Like, you kind of know what I'm saying, Darren, like, you were kind of hinting at the same thing, but, like, the strings on that section, and then there are all these other instruments going on, and it just sounds like, you know, it sounds like a symphony of sound, and you just cannot believe that under those conditions, they are creating something, like, that huge and that, you know, gorgeous. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's, like, buried under the hiss and fuzz, but so much is going on, and you can really put on some nice headphones and hear every little thing, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um... And like I mentioned, you know, I pointed out uh, grass cannons just because in that moment in the beginning, it it really just sounded like you were there in the room. But you know what? The rest of the album really difficult to to discern like what is going on or how they're actually achieving some of these right. recordings. It's it's really incredible.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm I'm sort of a nerd about like, uh, production and, and, I, I just really like to know how people like recorded things and stuff. So, you know, this record is fun. I, you know, at like night with your night's headphones on and knowing they only had either four or eight tracks to work with, to listen to it and just try to like, you know, f- figure out what's, what tracks are, or what and stuff, you know, and what they're doing. And it's like, it's goddamn like impossible you know like they're doing so much with so little you know it's it's really for being lo-fi and stuff it it really sounds like a choice more than a limitation even though i think in reality it actually was a limitation Um, but they like just do it so well and embrace it and i I don't know it's like I, I, they, they got so lucky like with all, all these people just happen to to end up together you know um
0: yeah they know how could, to play all these work like- that way
2: Orchestra instruments, yeah, yeah it's it's like
0: really, but sometimes it's charming though that like you know you could tell the horns are not like you know they're kind of amateur you know right they're not yeah like but that's, oh, that's, that's that's what's part, good about yeah. it yeah if if you know
1: it was Miles Davis instead of Scott Spillane playing it I think it would lose right, a, a, right. quite a bit of of the charm you know it, it's nice um, to to hear. It, it being like a little messed up and stuff. And, and it, you know, in a lot of like live performances and, and everything with Neutrum and and uh, Olivia Trimmer Control and stuff, so, in those like holiday tours Elephant Six would do, you know, like they really would be playing horn and like completely fuck it up and stuff. And, and you know, it just like, <laughs> it gives it that like, Uh, You know, we sort of mentioned this, but it it gives it that, like, feel. It's like, I could do this, you know? Uh, Like... Yeah, yeah. I I love that about uh, a lot of... You know, I I really love music that... (laughs) Has that um, accessibility in it? When you listen to yeah. stuff where it's just people like you know, this guy is the best drummer you've ever heard. This guy's the best guitarist you've ever. heard. That, that shit's boring as fuck. You know, I I I, I want yeah. a little you know I want a little soul in in, in what I'm listening to. You know, anyone can st- take their whole life and just study and and be so good at, it, but it takes something else to just pick up a horn and you know sort of f- figure it out well enough. You know, you can get you can get by and. uh I I don't know. I just love that and it it's it's super uh inspiring. You don't have to get all like,
2: you know, sort of emotional or yeah. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I uh I shudder to think about this album being recorded with like a big budget and like a big Oh, it would be awful. Right, right.
0: Oh, it would be so bad. It would be terrible. And I I just think it's so incredible because this is really the first album that I can think of that is both lo-fi and a like, must-hear-on-headphones kind of album. Now, I think of, you know, like, um, The Microphones, Glow Part 2, as kind of taking up the, you know, torch of this album, Mm -hmm. quite specifically, and really nailing that. It's, like, the example that most people would think of, of, like, wow, you could make, like, a gorgeously crafted and arranged headphone album um, with, you know, just nothing. But this album, with even greater limitations, I would say, uh, somehow nails that. And I think, I mean... I want to talk later about, you know, what is this album's legacy or what what influence did it have? But that's definitely one, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, another thing to get um, to get artsy, like I kind of promised earlier, you know, I wanted <laughs> to ask you guys, you know, you you got into it uh, a little bit already, but I think there's a lot to say, a lot more to say, you know, in how to approach this album. You know, I want to know, like, what is the black foliage, if that can possibly be figured out? You guys mentioned it, the Stereo Gum review. Um, I thought it was pretty great because it it, it does kind of like, you know, play with the idea of like, I, I feel like I need a metaphor to understand this. Um you know, you guys mentioned they they bring up a garden, which I love, you know, because it's got that, you know, like you said, Darren, they're the weeds, they're the flowers and everything, a dream we talked a lot about. Um, they end up deciding it's just like a celebration of sound. This is a quote, an explication of the metaphysics of music, a treatise on the pleasures of hearing, which I also really like. But I have my own kind of thinking here, and I don't want it to get too long, but basically... A lot of people cite, you know, the Beach Boys smile as the biggest inspiration on this album and maybe just this band um, and maybe even Animal or uh, Elephant Six in general. I don't know why I keep wanting to say <laughs> Um I guess they also kind of take up the the tradition of uh, Elephant Six and Olivia Tremor Control. But, um, you know, what's interesting about that is that what smile represents is like this unfinished thing that people want so badly to somehow combine together. Now we live in an era where basically Brian Wilson, you know, put out smile. He basically finished smile. And that box set that came out of, you know, a few years ago, you know, basically gave us what is just about the final thing. But Olivia Charmer control exists in a world before that, right? Where, um, Smile is, like, just a dream, kind of. You might have bootlegs that collect, like, all these little snippets or maybe even try to make some combinations, but it's just anybody's Mm -hmm. guess, you know? Um, So you can only... It only, like, really exists in your imagination. And I kind of feel like more than... Like, more than the actual idea of Smile, this album is, like, related to Smile bootlegs. It's, like, deliberately not connected, you know? Or, like, not able to piece together. It's constantly, like assembling disassembling and then reassembling itself i think of like the the bark um you know whatever the full name is that huge huge song um bark and below it you know we we could talk about this more but it's got kind of like a stop start um thing to it where it like actually goes into complete silence before kind of Mm -hmm. getting going Mm -hmm. again you know and a lot of those pieces in fact i, I was happy to learn that i was kind of right confirmation of my theory where uh his interview with the quietus um it, he he's talking about and i'm referring to um Will Cullen Hart specifically um he's talking about every little sound from that piece is taken and manipulated from somewhere else in the album so it's really kind of like this huge mess of, like, the entire album just completely disassembled and destroyed and, like, unobtainable, you know? It, it just kind of makes me feel like like the album is sort of like the uh, a meditation on the impossibility of assembling Smile, but I don't mean to, like, minimize. It. It's not just about Smile. You know, it's not like Bozinski's disintegration loops are just about, like, tapes falling apart. You know? It's like about... Something a little bit bigger than that, you know, like fading memories and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, the, I don't know how to perfectly phrase it, but just this idea of like disassembling multiplicity of meaning, falling apart, disintegrating, all this stuff. You kind of with me on this or am I am I going way too far?
1: No, I feel, yeah. And I mean, not, not to bring it back up again, but I think that that's part of what gives it that dream feel because it's the same sort of thing happening in dreams. You know, they've, you never like wake up and remember it all. Um, and you, can. and you, you can't. You can't
0: put it back together, no matter how nope, hard. you No, exactly. Try.
1: You know, like everybody has that story of you know they were in a, a great dream, and then you know something woke them up, and then you try you try <laughs> right. so hard to get back into it. it it's it's right. like exactly, yeah, the same kind of thing. And and yeah, smile. I think uh, what you said was was really good. You know, smile at, at the point that this album was uh, released and recorded and everything. Smile basically just was a dream. Yeah, like there yeah. there was tons and of di- different bootlegs, but yeah, just like some guy put them together not you know <laughs> right. not not anybody in the in the band specifically you know everybody sort of it, it was it was kind of a make your own record type type situation until you know, when when did that smile set come out you know it was only 2011 I yeah think. so eight years ago um yeah yes yeah, so i i don't i don't think you're off base at all um and and
0: i think it's completely intentional on, on their part Yeah. And Darren, you said you like the garden metaphor. And I I also really like that, Mm -hmm. like sort of in line with what I'm thinking here, because, you know, a garden, you know, you can like kind of tend to it as much as you want, but eventually, you know, the weeds and, and time are just going to destroy it. You know, it's like a living thing. That's really, you know, it's a fascinating metaphor of a garden is that you can never really be fully controlled. Um, so you kind of feel me on this, Darren?
2: Yeah, I, I can uh buy into that for sure. And I think, you know, in the the interview that Will gave, like <clears throat> I'm really glad to hear that like the bark and below it was not just, you know, a mess of random sounds. Like I it really uh kind of changed that uh that song for me, hearing that it was basically the entire album up until that point deconstructed. And, you know, I think of it like as a you know, you can enjoy A garden in so many different ways you know from a distance you can just view it you can get up close to it you can smell it you can dig in real deep and actually see the weeds and the dirt and the bug whatever you know like just all sorts of different things happening living in there and i I think of like that's kind of like what sound is right i mean there's so many like there are so many sounds out there but you can hear things in in infinite number of ways and yeah barking yes. below it is basically saying hey the entire album that you just heard you know before this can be heard in so many different ways here's one of them and it it just completely right. tears it apart and you, you you really don't know what you're listening to um it, yeah you know what i mean It like
0: destabilizes the entire album because you're kind yeah. of just like with the black foliage animations you're kind of like well, this album could have been completely different if different band members had come over on different days, you mm-hmm. know? It, it just really exactly. wants you to remember that. I also think about what you were just saying like um the Sylvan Screen. There there are moments in there because that's I really like how the Sylvan Screen is like you think you're there because like I was saying, you know how you like you you're like I know this album will be falling apart um at some point and we're going to get some crazy, you know, pure music concrete stuff. Um, and it feels like the Sylvan screen is going to be that for mm-hmm. like two minutes. And then it kind of like goes into a song. Um, it's a really nice fake out. But there are also moments where there's like this weird, you know, it just feels like layers are being peeled off of that song. And now you're hearing like the song that was underneath it or the way like the end of um, Train Director. There's like this strange string diversion I was talking about earlier. And yet you can kind of like distantly hear the original song still going underneath it, even though it kind of has no relationship to what's happening there. Of so, yeah, I I love that idea of like, you know, the underground, under the garden, the dirt, the weeds, all that stuff. Um, and I also was just thinking in regard to uh to finish my point with the um the bark and below it. Hey, the bark and below it. That's kind of exactly what you're saying, Darren. Um, <laughs> wow, interesting. My mind is blown. But anyway, I was just thinking while listening to that. You know, it was like uh, the experience that I have, you know, when I'm listening to the Smile box set and I'm listening to like 40 takes in a row of like this one 20 second snippet or something like that and i was like god you know what this album sounds a lot more like the bonus discs of the smile box set than actual smile and i think that's actually really cool you know until you just said it i didn't even think of the bark and below
1: it i always thought of like a dog bark i didn't think of like a tree Mm. bark
0: and b- yeah. so, right, mm. like literally, right, right now. I yeah, just... there's a lot of that really like garden imagery going on here, and a lot of stuff about you know like um multiplicity of meaning. You know, this idea of like in the blink of an eye, you get several meanings. Like how things right. can mean a bunch of things at the same time, mm-hmm. and songs can sound a bunch of different ways at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we should also clarify before we get any like emails or anything by people know it alls. Um, <laughs> Dreams are obviously pretty central to this album. We're not just like speculating because um, you know the liner notes at of dusk at Cubus castle they ask fans to record mm-hmm. themselves describing their dreams and a couple of these do get sampled on the record of course we've also got the um you know that sort of um second well like sort of in between album explanation Two, instrumental themes and dream sequences which is supposed to be played with dusk at Cubist castle have, have you guys ever done that no i haven't I I, I I never have it i, I really i didn't it. I actually, like, read that
1: uh, just today or yesterday. I I didn't ever really, like, know that. So, I yeah, I I don't know how that slipped me by. But, uh, yeah, I wanted to, uh, I was going to do that
0: this
2: week. I'm sure somebody on the internet has already (laughs) synced it up, you know. Yeah, yeah, that would probably.
0: be that would be convenient. I did that with a Flaming Lips record. Ugh. I just like laid them on top of each other and just would listen, uh, you know, so to stupid. like burn what, it to what a. What dick.
1: was the uh, the pitch for it? it was like fuck you. I don't
0: own four stereos. Oh, that. <laughs> yeah, oh. that I kind of I kind of understand. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys. You know, when it comes to this album, it feels like we're not alone in trying. I mean, obviously the Stereo Gum uh, uh, review confirms this. But like, what is it about this album that just makes you want to figure out the metaphor? You know, I think just because it's like sort of
1: alien you know it it kind of it's weird it's built on like so much stuff you have heard but then it comes out sounding like something you've never heard and I I think that just like I I think it has that like mild sense of familiarity uh, like it makes you want to like it, it, the, the film familiarity like makes it where you you feel like you could figure it out because you know a little bit and so yeah it's yeah. like push it pushing you towards it but you know you you can't actually ever figure it out because you know it's it's not your art but yeah it just like that that the, that sort of strain and uh, again you know that's sort of how how dreams frequently are with you know there's there's something about them that like, you know, happened in your real life or it's, it's a a place or a person or or something. And then, but, but it's also got this like sort of strangeness to it and it, and it makes you want to, you know, why, why do people want to always figure out dreams? I I think it's that same thing. It's that like, yeah, that that impulse. Yeah. It's you, you feel the familiar. So you, you think it has to all be there uh, when it, (laughs) when it's not, you know?
2: Yeah, that's that's really interesting, Dan, that you mentioned, like, the familiar, because I was just thinking, like, the way this album is structured, like, musically, it's, like, meant to immediately attract you in with its, you know, glowing harmonies and 60s sound. Like, that's easy, you know? Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I'm very familiar with that kind of world. Like, I can get into this. And then... At the very same time, it's like exposing its layers. It's like saying, "Hey, yeah, there are layers here. Like, check this out. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to go searching for it. You're not like force. You know, it's not a situation where you're just trying to force a meaning into something. Exactly. Or like, oh, it's gotta, it's gotta have some sort of deep meaning. Like, no, it's, it's pretty like upfront with you. Like, with all of the different, you know, experimental, you know, uh, sounds, and then you know the the names of the tracks. Like, I think it's like it's inviting you to dig into the layers. Like, it's just an album that is. It's it's I I don't know any other way of describing it other than to like just say it's full of layers and it's like it knows it's full of layers like it's on purpose. You know, what I mean, not like a it's not hidden behind something. It's not meant to just be out there just for the sake of being weird or abstract like it.
0: Yeah, it knows it's abstract. It wants
2: you to, to figure it out.
0: You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at the risk of contradicting myself, you mentioned, Dan, that there's like enough familiar to pull you in. And I do kind of like there are a couple tracks here that are like really evoking um, something specific. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, like a a place we have been to, I mean, really could have like could have just been on revolver i think um uh, yeah, like, hideaway is like oh so yeah so beach boys especially the end yeah. yes the ending yeah they, i mean they like i mean that is just clear and i swear to god if you just played that to me like a couple weeks ago i would have just said it was a beach Boys song i just can't remember which one oh yeah know. yeah <laughs> um, yeah if i didn't know the track already yeah i would completely agree with you something like um i think the end of uh black foliage four um has this kind of like harmonizing guitar like and it's so Brian Eno, another green world uh-huh. like just so much and yeah I, I think that you know whereas on dusk at cuba's castle it's maybe just leaning a little bit too close to the kind of pastiche vibe um on this one those little familiar touches they are enough to just make you keep wanting to figure this thing out um i also wanted to ask you guys i don't think we've talked that much directly about what it was like kind of revisiting this album this week um did any of your opinions change do you like a more do you like it a little less or how'd it go
1: um you know i th- i think my opinion maybe changed a little bit for the better i i was always like like i said um you know at the top of the show i i've i've loved elephant six but i was always like really a neutral milk hotel fan you know i mean i still am it you know you said you don't even listen to airplane much anymore i i love it i have a jeff mangum uh, drawing tattoo um you know i'm obsessed <laughs> with it uh you know and olivia Trimmer controls always felt sort of second tier to me and you know i've always sort of like dusk at cuba's castle a bit more but uh you know th- this, this week spending it with um with this record, and I and I purposely like didn't listen listen to dusk because I didn't want to slip yeah, back yeah. into that. I, it made me like really sort of appreciate this record more. Where, whereas like in, in the past, I, if I listened to this record, it was because I was like after I, you know, when I got older, you know, like if I was listening to this record, it was because I was like really going through, you know, all the, you know, next was going to be, you know, apples and stereo and stuff.
0: Right. right. Like
1: that's kind of the only time I really got back into this record. So it was, I, I think this is the only time I've spent like, a significant amount of time, like only listening to this record over and over and over. You know, like I, I even had last night. I I sort of was like, f- you know, fuck. I want to listen to Cherry Peel, I want to listen to Avery Island. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I said, I said, <laughs> resist. I, I said, no, 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 no. Stick here. <laughs> and it really, it really did make me uh, appreciate it uh, uh, quite a bit more. I think. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, it's 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 an album I've always stands on its own. Yeah, it's an album I would always say I, I've liked, but. I, it gave me, like, a new, um, deeper appreciation for it, I think.
2: Yeah, I think I would agree. Um, when we talked about doing this, I was I was kind of already thinking, like, yeah, I mean, I love this album. You know, it'd be fine. Like, I, I right. we, could, we could record it right now. You know? Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, getting to go back into it, take a really deep dive into it, right? And just, like, absorbing it. I thought those articles were really good because it kind of, like turned me on to some things i hadn't thought about before you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. uh just gave me an overall like deeper appreciation for this for this album and actually excites me enough to like want to you know continue listening to it even beyond just doing this episode because i feel like there's still more to discover and like enjoy about it you know what i mean outside of like yeah i think i think in the early years when i was listening to it you know obviously the the early songs in the record were they they were great like and that was you know the first thing i fell in love with but as we have already kind of been discussing like the layers and the you know the different things to discover like this album still for me has so much more to enjoy and i look forward to continuing to listen to it
0: yeah i i found it very interesting that um these retrospective reviews were they seem to be making a very conscious effort to just like divorce this album from the elephant 6 from Dusk at Cubis Castle, you know. Um, you mentioned this damn, but I am in the same boat where it's like I would only really listen to this if I was going through a phase and I would always you know, there's no time in my life where I listened to like just this album and not Dusk at Cubus Castle mm-hmm. like within the next day or so. Right. Um and you know, while I did kind of give Dusk at Cubus Castle just one spin this week, um I tried really hard to stay focused on this one album, and I think it it does it, it, it for me personally um it, it just sounded a lot better that way i mean it just doesn't sound like tied to that place in time it sounds you know quite timeless people throw that around a lot but i mean if any album deserves that term it's this one because you would never be able to figure out like where when this even was made yes. i think um yes as part of the part of the idea um i did want to ask you guys Any you know any criticisms I wanted to kind of bring up just in the devil's advocate kind of way some things like you know there's some like off key singing here Um, do you guys you know some like really abrupt cuts and stuff we talked about some maybe the possible meaning of some of that stuff Um, weird mixing you know like where something is just so loud all of a sudden Um, you know does it kind of add to the charm the same way you guys were saying like not great trumpet playing does. I think a hundred percent. You know, I you know the a little
1: off-key singing, a little you know uh, fuck up in the mixing. I you know that that that's the stuff. Like I was saying earlier, I I, I like that. I I like the amateurish feel in music. I, I I most things I like are things I feel like are accessible reach. You know, within like my own personal reach, sort of. You know, Um yeah. So so I like it. I I I didn't even. You know, I can't even th- really think of like, oh, that's a tie. You know, he went off key or anything. It, it, it like pisses me off if if somebody doesn't ever, you know, go off key. But also, uh, my favorite artist ever is Bob Dylan.
2: So you know, right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I love it. You know, I that that all just kind of goes together with the Elephant 6 and the whole vibe of the recording like I had mentioned before that I feel felt so inspired f- by and I I feel like if you if you go back and you fix the uh you know, the off-key singing if you go back and you try to tone down I, I, there's a there's one song in particular that I feel like really clips because there's just like so much going on <laughs> yeah. like you can mm-hmm. barely hear the singing and stuff. Um, you know, you you lose the impact, you know what I mean? And for, there's so many records that we've talked about that were big budget records and we talk about how, like, man, this would sound so much better mm-hmm. if it if it wasn't recorded in a big studio. Yeah. And you know what we're raw. thinking of? We're th- yeah, when we say raw, we're talking about Elephant 6. We're talking about, like, yeah. this type of recording exactly. style That's right true. here. You know, and yeah. to have something like this, I feel like, is so precious, you know?
1: That's something I love about Elephant 6 is, like, you know, there's so many of those bands, like like Modest Mouse, you know? Modest Mouse was was fantastic you know one of the greatest bands ever with all the lo-fi stuff and then you know they get a major label deal in right, moon right. antarctica still still great uh you know and then it just slowly slips away uh, up until you know now you know strangers to ourselves was was fucking god awful and now if you see them live there's 30 goddamn people on stage and when there used to right. be three people and you know elephant six i feel like for the most part you could maybe argue of montreal has has gone the wrong way but you for for the most part these bands have have stuck to that and and not gotten shitty and oh and overblown um with time which is which is super super rare i think
0: yeah yeah i you know i think this was another thing that sort of changed in my perception this week was you know, I used to. I would have described this album as like meticulously crafted, and I think you know, you you di- did again, Darren, and I think I kind of still would, and yet I never really appreciated the happy accident quality of this album. You know, we talked about how, you know, it sounds like some things are left up to chance, like little blips or little cuts mm-hmm. or you know, little tape loops and sounds and stuff, and. You know, I really kind of feel like sometimes they do a take and I would have done another take because somebody was pretty off key for a moment there, Yeah. but there was something magical that they liked about that take or whatever, you know, or maybe even it's just a matter of like, they didn't have time because dude was, you know, about to leave and, um, the song would sound totally different because he wasn't going to come back for three days. You know, um, it's like, there's something It's like a balance between meticulously crafted and happy accidents, like I think Mm -hmm. you mentioned, um, Dan, as well. A couple other rapid-fire devil's advocate type of things. Do you ever feel like some of the songs are kind of normal and there's just sort of like weirdness added on top?
1: I mean, I could see why someone would say that. But honestly, if someone said that, I would question their and I don't want to sound like a dick, but I will. Like, I would question their, like, understanding of uh, experimental music and stuff, you know? Like, like when the weirdness is over top of it, you know, I sometimes I, you know, I say, oh, you know, I mean, there's aping, you know, Stockhausen or something. And whereas maybe if right. you weren't familiar with that, I, I know I sound like a fucking, you know, pretentious asshole, but, <laughs> but you know, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like it's, I feel like it's sort of, on purpose, uh, and not in a pretentious way. Um, so no, I, I, I don't think that.
2: Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't even consider that. You know, I think they, if you lean into it, in which they do for like literally 70 minutes, you know what th- I mean? Th- that's perfect. Um, yeah
1: they, As long as you, they lean into it. They're not, it's not yeah. Cause accidental that, right, cause or that, anything.
2: Right, because that quieted, the quietest article kind of like talks about a few individual tracks, like even mentions Ivan floated and talks about it being like basically a ripoff. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I haven't listened to the record that it was mentioning uh, that it ripped off, but uh, you know, I I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, it made me think about it, you know, and that's why I mentioned at the top, like I hesitate to sit here and say like, well, there's just nothing else like it. I mean there, of course there's probably things out there that are similar. You yeah. Know? They, they were obviously inspired by just like everybody is inspired by, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, else, you know, Elephant Six is basically built on its inspirations. So I don't, I don't think anything about Elephant Six is, you know, there's absolutely nothing like it. It's just I think there's absolutely nothing else uh, built on the same inspirations to create something new. And like I said, uh, much earlier in the show, I, I think basically all genres of music are built on one or two you know genres that came before it you know when you mash them together and now you've got something new Um uh, so I, I don't think there's anything like wrong or
0: uh yeah.
1: insincere about about using your influences
0: yeah and I, i'm not sure that they were calling it a ripoff of something specific i think they were making the point that there are a couple songs that um are just too kind of like we were saying like too much about just sort of emulating the 60s but that by and large the album um really like invents like a sort of a new sound even if it is built on something old and I, and I think I can I can understand that um, how about the bark and below it I think we talked about it a lot but we could even throw in the combinations and the black foliage pieces um specifically the bark and below it do you feel ever like now I, I did want to mention Will Cullen Hart, He calls it quote the thing giving nutrients to the tunes growing out of it um, in that quietest interview which i think um again sort of validated the way i was thinking about this uh but do you ever feel like some of this stuff is more fun to think about than listen to a, a little bit honestly uh you know
1: bargain yeah. below it um it kind of like ruins this album if you're listening it to it in the car you know you, right. you, you just <laughs> right. you, you don't want to you don't want to drive around for 11 minutes listening to to that uh you know i the same reason i don't drive around listening to
0: cage or, or stockhausen um yeah and it's I, weird you know, right because it's not like it's not like this cacophonous like um climax of the no album. it's quiet it's pretty muted it's very it's very yeah, quiet it's, very yeah. quiet. No, it's, it's very just quiet. like often like a low drone with like some field recordings just getting like clop you know clipped up and everything and you know, just little like it'll be like a string flourish, like whoop, like no, just it, flying by you, and then just silence. You exactly,
1: know? and you know, I, I, it makes me think of pre Sister swallowing a donkey's eye from on Avery Island, which is sort of similar. You know, it's it's another like very obvious Stockhausen mm. piece, and you know, Mangum at least had kind of the good sense to stick it at the end of the record, so you can still listen to it in the
0: car. <laughs> it's fine. You know, you just yeah, you just end it. You know, a little early, and I love the idea of that piece you know like this huge thing that's gonna like you know just yeah yeah, be yeah the last note of the album like i love the idea but i would almost never listen and no to ex- exactly like
1: i i listen to that if i'm you know listening in headphones uh at night or something but yeah in the car yeah. i i always turn it off nobody nobody wants to listen to that <laughs> but you know when you stick it sort of i mean it's not quite in the middle of the record but it's sort of you know in the last 25 percent of it it's sort of it's sort of like really kind of wrecks the flow because then you know you have that track and you know it's nice in headphones it's nice if you're into experimental things it's a fun thing to like try to figure out the sounds um, and whatnot but like like I said you know you don't you don't want to hear it in the car you don't really want to hear it you know if you're playing this record at a party or something which I guess that'd be sort of a weird party anyways yeah but, um, yeah. but then I, I feel like it sort of struggles. It makes the rest of the record struggle a little bit, you know. You've like they've got to come back from that, and and I kind of feel like all the songs, you know, we got the barking below it, and then we have another animation right after it. You know, that's not not right, exactly right. a banger yeah.
0: bringing you back because that that Sylvan screen is kind of like a false, de- you know, false beginning exactly. of um, and then we get like a false restart also. At the yeah, end.
1: exactly, and then and then it honestly sort of makes the the rest of the. I hate to use this word, but normal songs sort of almost feel like, like, oh, now we're in the bonus tracks of the record. Okay. Okay.
0: Well, what do
2: you think about that, Darren? Well, you know, I, I agree. I think I'm having more fun talking about the Barking Below It with you guys than I do actually listening to it. You Mm -hmm. know, I mentioned that, you know, the retrospective articles really kind of opened me up to some things it opened me up to the bark and below it because before it was like, uh, you know, I could do without it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I yeah. don't, you know, I don't, I didn't think that skipping this track or not listening to it meant anything about that. How much I love the record. I just, whatever. They have this 11 minute experimental track. Thanks for not splitting it up over nine tracks like you did on Cubis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, it it was fine. Um, I think it's, you know, it's, The way you described it, Dan, makes sense. Like, obviously, if you're sitting down, you're focusing in on it. You're gonna listen on headphones. You should listen to it. It flows really well with the rest of the album. If you're doing it in that in that sense, Um, in the car or pretty much anywhere else, like, no, of course not. This isn't. That's not for that. You know what I mean? I I I wouldn't. I hesitate to say that it's like I wouldn't like cut it from the record or anything like that because I still think that it. It it's like importance. the
0: key to unlocking yeah. the whole album yeah. and yet it's hard to listen to
2: right G- gabe how do you how do you feel about the tracks after after it though
0: yeah i, I think it's a really interesting point it, it's sort of interesting to note i never really thought about it before but like what one two three of these tracks um are you know these kind of strange you know sound collage type things anyway right. um So it doesn't leave a lot of time to get the thing built back up. And you kind of hinted, Dan, that you don't think it like totally gets it going again. And I do agree that like, you know, stuff like California Demise is it's really awesome and has such a strange like where the bridge is just totally unrelated to the song and then it somehow ties back in the end or like I think that um, another set of bees in the museum is like. It might be the weirdest song on the album, even including and <laughs> Below It, because I understand what and Below It is trying to do. And another set of bees is like so weird, but then so awesome at the same time. It all sounds sometimes like the vocals are on the wrong song or something. But, um, you know, it's kind of like when you get to mystery, mystery is like just one of those pure pop songs that kind of maybe should have been on side A, you know, when that was like, you know, kind of hideaway style. Um and it feels weird, like how can we already be back at mystery mm-hmm. after the insanity that was <laughs> barking below it? Um is that kind of how you feel, Darren?
2: Yeah, yeah, because you know, just even thinking about before when I loved this record, like these last tracks were among the least listened to, I would say. You know what I mean? Right. Um right, right. if I didn't have time to go through seventy minutes of the album, I'm spending all my time in the first you know uh what 16 17 tracks or so or whatever you know what i mean like exactly right, right. because and and then if you do sit through the bark and below it like you know going through another seven tracks i mean that's that's a lot <laughs> you know what i mean it it just is and knowing yeah, that none uh, of those seven tracks are are they're not better than any of the tracks in the beginning of the album you know what i mean um yeah. i like hilltop procession yeah you know,
0: i mean I, we we must admit that that's like it's kind of a wonderful closer. I mean, yeah, like, for sure. For I I, sure. I find that the end the end of Black Foliage 5, like this piano comes in and it's like, I'm like, wow, this is kind of moving because this is not an album I would describe as moving really, but all of a sudden there's that moment that I'm like, wow, this is really like, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And then Hilltop Procession maybe starts off a little goofy, but by the end with that sing-along thing, I'm like, you know, it makes me want to cry or something. And it just sort of like retrospectively adds this kind of emotional weight to the whole album am i alone in that no i i agree with you hilltop hilltop is like sort of
1: the song that that does bring it back after uh and below it but unfortunately the record's over um at that point yeah yeah. you know
0: but it it is it is a good closer it makes me like really sad now because um you know i just think of like uh bill doss um passing away yeah and um you know, it's so joyous with everybody singing along. And, like, The Elf and Six doesn't really exist anymore. This is the last Olivia Tremor Control album. You know, it's just, mm. like, oh, Just, like, it's kind of heartbreaking for some reason. A little bit.
1: You know, but one thing I want to say about and Below It. You know, earlier I said that this record sort of, like, accomplishes what John Lennon wanted to with Revolution 9. You know, this marrying of the experimental and the, you know, pop um i the bark and i think everything before that song sort of successfully does that but the bark and below yeah. it like sort of is the revolution 9 of this record it is and it's like yeah. ah you know you you guys i don't want to say that you blew it but you kind of blew it a little bit you know like this this record didn't need the Revol- revolution 9 you know it it was revolution 9 meets you know while my guitar gently mm. weeps and then that one, they sort of, oh, you know, we didn't succeed uh, quite, quite a hundred percent, you know, I I, I, th- I, think, I don't know, I, I think if they had either used it at, at like pre-sisters um, being the, the closing track or just just kind of done away with it or maybe shortened it or even split it up uh, into i don't <laughs> split it up into like you know like the combinations animation all those you know like i i like i like the bargain below it it's a fun uh thing to discuss uh like uh scholastically yeah and but it's not that great of a thing to to listen to just in the context of the record you know it and that's sort of the same way I feel about Revolution 9. You know, I like to listen to Revolution 9 at night with headphones. But you're almost
0: you're almost through by the time you get to Revolution exactly. 9. Exactly. Like, there's only one more song. Just got to
1: get through this and then goodnight. And know. there's one more song. And I feel like goodnight is probably the least listened to track on, <laughs> on the White Album, you know? Um, well, certainly you know and it's like here we've still got what is it five more songs yeah, or six more songs you got a while
0: songs? you got a while
2: yeah
1: i i don't know I, I i feel like it
2: ruins it a little bit i would just say like if this was at the end of the record i would i would never listen to it you know what i mean that's like true. I, that's true it would be too difficult to ever get myself to want to listen i know to
1: but it. that that's what i'm saying you know that's what pre-sisters is you you listen to pre-sisters You know, once. And then you listen to it when you feel like kind of dissecting a piece of experimental music. Uh, But when it's in the middle of more songs, it just sort of forces you, no matter what mood you're in or what you're trying, you know, where, you know, if you're in the car or you're, you know, laying in bed with headphones on, it like sort of forces you to to listen to this. And I guess artistically, maybe that's okay. I I
0: don't know. You know, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I just. It's a, it's. In some ways, it's it's a del- deliberately challenging album, and this is a big reason why. And I mean, you know, I think it just comes down to you know when he says it's this thing giving nutrients to the tunes, growing out of it. I'm like, fucking love that idea. Yeah, I do but too. I, actually. And, and I wouldn't remove it because I think it's so essential to the idea of this album. But I just, you know, it, it's not like, and I, I like listening to shit like that. But I don't find this one. I find I don't find this one like that that listenable. To be honest, um, you know, I think that. We could we could kind of wrap things up with this last question, which is, you know, I started the the, the episode by sort of asking, you know, we, we're going to try to figure out, like, what makes this such an enduring classic. But in fact, I think that there's something kind of interesting about the fact that this inspired all this retrospective analysis. And when I say reassessment, you know, I really think that I'm not alone in having thought that this was something like a hidden gem and now thinking it's kind of like a bona fide masterpiece, an important album that everybody should hear um, whether you're in an elephant six mood or not. So, you know, I guess that's the the central question. Like why, why are people, you know, why, why, why this change of assessment? Are, do you guys agree with that? And I mean, what is it that's got everybody talking about it all of a sudden?
1: Yeah. I mean, I basically said it before, you know, the, this, whenever I was in, like, I only listened to this record if I was in sort of an elephant six mood and I, you know, moved past the, the the big heavy hitters um i don't i don't know what it would exactly you know maybe other people sort of felt the same way and are and are, are realizing that this one really does kind of stand on, on its own legs um you know I, I i don't know why you know everybody maybe recently realized that but but i think it really does you know i i always kind of thought of olivia trimmer control and Kind of, especially this record as as the second tier classics of um, Elephant Six. when, like, you know, maybe it's maybe it's first tier. I, I you know I don't want to gotta be you know I oh yeah I, I think in I, I sort of struggled to put it in the first tier because I I think in the airplane over the sea is one of the greatest records like ever made, and I don't you know I don't know if this sort of reaches that. But it definitely, I think, deserves to stand on its own. I, I'm like super glad that th- this is really kind of the first time I've listened to this record completely isolated from Elephant uh. Six and everything. And, uh, you know, it, it does have its own legs and it does have its own merit. And I, I think I, I've sort of unfairly. Um, uh not I I don't want to say maligned, but you know, almost maligned it in, in the past. Overlooked a little bit. Overlooked, yeah, that's okay. a much better word. <laughs> what
0: about you, Darren?
2: Yeah, I uh I kinda disagree with you, Dan. I, I think um <laughs> early on I had always considered this one of the staples of Elephant Six, right? Um mm-hmm. one yeah. of the best records. If you're if you're getting into Elephant Six, this one's gotta be in your top three uh that you gotta listen to, right? But you know, thinking back on it, listening to it so much, um, you know, I'm I'm starting, I'm a little more inclined to think about this record not as an Elephant Six record, but just as a record on its own right, you know, the same way yeah. that I, I think of In the Aeroplane, of the, Over the Sea, being one of the greatest right. albums just in general. I think Black Foliage is one of the greatest, like, masterpieces, you know what I mean? Like, be, I, I would... From now on, I don't really think I'm going to talk about this in context of, like, Elephant Six only. Like, this is, like, a great record in general, forgetting the whole Elephant Six thing. I mean, that's a big part of it, obviously, but just in general, if you love music, right, uh, yeah, yeah, this is yeah. a record you should hear.
0: Yeah. I think I'm in the exact same boat where I used to think of it as a classic of the Elephant Six, and now I think of it as just a classic. And, um, you know, I'm I, I think that was sort of the goal of some of these, like, retrospective reviews and i'm really glad they did that because it got me rethinking about it and i hope it gets a lot of other people rethinking about Uh it because i think it's a really really great record and you know that being said uh we we sort of talked about the idea of you know maybe doing some more elephant six classics in the future and i hope we do because despite all of that i really badly want to listen to like gay parade and like you know (laughs) fucking avery island to just all get get deep into it but um I wonder if it would be possible. You know, I I, I kind of wonder now how, how would these albums stand up if I tried to separate them from their context, you know, who knows? Yeah, I, I completely
1: agree. You know, th- this whole time discussion, the the whole time we've been discussing the whole time I was listening to this record, you know, I, it's like, all I want to do is, is go and, and listen to all those, uh, other, other records, <laughs> right. you know, it's like, it's so hard to, f- to fight that, like, uh, you know, feeling, but, um, yeah, I, we should definitely get to uh, some of the other Elephant Six things in the future. But uh, I, I think that's enough for this episode um, for today. Uh, next week, we're going to try to do Scott Walker. You know, he he passed away. He's one of my uh, favorites. I, I love him. You guys not as familiar, so I really double want to blunder. dig into him. Yeah, yeah, double yeah. blunder here. <laughs> we'll uh, so looking forward to that. You know, that'll be a lot of fun. Um, so what, what do you think You to tell us what you what you think about uh, Black Foliage Elephant 6, Scott Walker any, any anything, you can tell us anything you want <laughs> popshieldpod at gmail.com and uh, if you like the show, help us out by subscribing leave us a 5 star uh, review wherever you get your podcast. you can stay connected Twi- Twitter, Facebook, Instagram all that junk is at popshieldpod and we'll see you two weeks see ya, so long